Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hear me? Can you hear me on the phone? I've got you coming out of every orifice. <laughs> I'm really not, you're breaking off quite badly. Hello, and welcome to The Lock-In, where I finally get to talk to people I want to hear from in a place I want to be, the pub. For some reason, this bloody thing has started playing back some rubbish. Oh, right. Where were we? I forgot. I have two. Now pay attention at the back. Today I'm talking to one of the smartest men in Britain. Sir David Omond is a spy. Or he was. He ran the National Eavesdropping Centre, GCHQ. He was the first security and intelligence coordinator in Britain, which in layman's terms is the country's top spy. And now he's produced a book called How Spies Think. So, David, what do you think makes a good spy? If you're talking about uh, an intelligence officer, then uh, my answer would be it has to be somebody who is prepared to accept the life of an intelligence officer, not to seek personal fame it's or celebrity but who is content to work in the service of the country quietly behind the scenes that i think is the first uh, requirement because uh, walking into five-star hotels and saying the name's bond james bond is not the kind of behavior that uh, <laughs> suits an effective intelligence officer but do you think you could make a spy out of anyone? Yes. Uh, and if you look at, say, the British intelligence community, you've got an enormously diverse range of people who are working in the intelligence business, from you know, the pure mathematicians at GCHQ through to the... Uh, uh, Your book is full of things that most of us don't understand, like Bayesian reasoning, for example. Do you have to be clever to be a spy? It helps. It helps because the intelligence analyst, and my book is really about intelligence analysts, the analyst has to put the jigsaw puzzle together without the picture on the lid of the box and knowing that somebody has muddled up a number of jigsaw puzzle pieces all together. So uh, you do have to have uh, 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 an analytic uh, ability. Of course, if your uh, chosen uh, profession takes you into 
human recruitment of uh, human agents and that's rather different and there of course you would look for empathy. I've come across a few spies over the years. They're always quiet, unassuming, the absolute opposite of James Bond. Yes, you want the person who when they walk into a room nobody notices they've come into the room rather than the person who one can think of most modern politicians who would expect the room to go slightly quiet and people to notice they'd made an entrance. That is the last thing you would want. You ended up being one of the country's top intelligence officers. What was your plan B for your life? Originally, when I graduated, it was academia. It was doing a doctorate, and I indeed had a grant and a place to do a doctorate in a rather obscure part of mathematical economics. Uh, but gave up the idea and thought, well, I think I'd better get a job. I wanted to work in the public sector. I didn't want to join the private sector. Uh, this was uh, 1969, after all. And uh, GCHQ seemed a very interesting place to, uh, to join. I've been there and it is absolutely fascinating. Always struck me as being rather like a university. It, it is in some ways, except that the big difference, as I discover at the moment, I'm a, my second career is in academia. You're accumulating knowledge and understanding of the world as an academic. But uh, in the intelligence world, you're doing it for a purpose. You're trying to improve the decisions that your government or your military forces have to make. So it's very uh, directed in that sense, whereas most academic work is it's more the pursuit of knowledge for its own sake. One of the things that struck me was how relaxed it was, how many young people there were there. You would find that right across the British intelligence community. And in part, it's a post 9-11 phenomenon, because at the end of the Cold War, there was either a pause in recruitment or in some rundown uh, when the Soviet Union ceased to exist. And then, of course, the shock of 9-11, uh, the danger of, from terrorism led to rapid, rapid increases. The security service probably doubled in size. And so when you walk around now, you see younger faces. The other thing that happened at the same time was the advent of the internet and the, uh, uh, the rise of digital intelligence. And that's a natural playground for younger minds. You've already put your finger on one of the things that's distinctive about um, intelligence work, and that is that you don't disclose to anyone what you do. How big a burden is that psychologically? I think it suits certain personality types. Other pe you, if you really found it a burden, you probably wouldn't stay. You'd, you'd find something else to do. Um, so it does uh, rather suit the quiet types rather than the, the extroverts. The meaning of, of secrecy in that world has rather been redefined in the last decade or so, because what is really, really secret and must always remain secret, despite the interests of journalists and others, um, is which techniques are being applied to which targets to try and prize out their secrets. But the existence of the techniques themselves 
is not a secret. There was a bit of a fuss when uh, the material from Edward Snowden was uh, publicized because people hadn't realized just how powerful these digital intelligence techniques were. But there are now university departments, you know, publishing papers on the uh, uh, on these subjects. Uh, so the and, and cryptography and uh, recruitment of human agents, these are as you know, <laughs> ancient as history itself. Uh, so the techniques are known about and indeed quite widely researched from an academic point of view, but which ones have been picked by an intelligence officer to try and uh, get at uh, the secrets of a particular target, a terrorist, uh, narcotics gang, people smugglers, autocrats and dictators, you name them. Uh, that has to remain a secret because it's so easy for the target otherwise to dodge. What do you think is the best television depiction of your world, the espionage world that you've seen? I have a the, the uh, Alec Guinness uh, series of from the Le Carre books were very good, uh, partly because he's such a brilliant actor, um, but partly because of that sense of the intellectual side, the trying to piece together the, the, the jigsaw puzzle, who is the traitor in, in, the, in the ranks. You've never been tempted to write a spy novel, have you? No, no, I'm not sure I could manage the sex scenes. <laughs> it's a hazard, I think, for any uh, would-be novelist is the bad sex award. Could, can you summarise what your book's about then? Who's it intended for? Well, it's... Uh, intended for anyone who is interested in thinking more clearly. And it's really, it's my personal call to arms in favour of rational analysis to support decision-making. And it doesn't really matter whether that's uh, for government, whether it's for business, or indeed it's for any of us when we have a big decision to take, like whether to move house or seek another job or indeed seek a life partner. How would a spy think about the question of moving house? I think the, the analyst uh, would know that when you have a big decision to take, there are two separate kinds of thinking that you have to hold together in your mind at the same time. There's the cold rational analysis. How much can you afford to spend? What do you want out of the area that you're going to move to? How far away is the GP or the, if you've got children, the local schools? All the sort of factual stuff that you've got to analyse really rather carefully. And then you've got the passionate side. The, what was motivating you to want to get out of the city and into the deepest countryside or vice versa? Or what was it you were afraid of? Well, that just sounds like common sense. Well, it is common sense. But then, if it is common sense, why are so many decisions made on the basis of inadequate analysis? Why do governments uh, promise us things that they can't deliver? It's, it may be common sense when you set it down, as I've tried to do in, in a book, in stages, my, my four kinds of output you get from uh, analysis, you know, knowing what's going on, uh, explaining what's going on, beginning to 
estimate how things might unfold if you take your decision and then making sure you don't get socked on the back of the head by something you hadn't seen coming. Uh, that's a very basic way of thinking about analysis of any situation. But it's quite hard work. It's harder work than most people want to put in. And the emotional side, this is the other message in my book, is that because of the advent of social media in particular, the emotional side of decision making has tended to swamp the, the, the analysis. And so much of what you obtain from uh, going online it's falsehoods it's deceptions it's half truths and it's some deliberate material aimed at widening divisions in society and setting us at each other's throats and we saw that in the 2016 u.s presidential election very clearly it's the dark underside of that wonderful invention the internet on which you know we're so completely dependent you say the internet is still wonderful, but one of the characteristics of it is this proliferation of social media in which people say anything, doesn't matter whether it's true or not, and it could be as poisonous as you like. Well, that's the dark side. Um, the upside is how would we have survived uh, the COVID experience and keeping in touch with uh, loved ones? How would we have managed work? Uh, I give my lectures, university lectures now online. How would we have kept things going during the first stage of the pandemic without having these social uh, media apps? But Jimmy Wales, the creator of Wikipedia, had a rather nice way of putting it, which is that social media is driven by the advertisements. And the incentive is to show you as many ads as possible. So the time you spend on a site and clicks per minute and so on is what matters. And that creates addictive products. And so they, the social media prioritize agitation and argumentation in a negative sense over education and learning and thoughtfulness. Now, there's obvious risk of being naive here because we've always had in political debate a bit of political swagger and exaggeration of the benefits of a policy and personal ambitions and rivalries are inseparable from democratic politics but we shouldn't have to suffer uh, people who blur or even deny the very nature of truth there is no such thing as alternative facts Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. 
burrow.com slash ACAST. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. There are alternative approaches, of course. I was very interested in the stuff in your book about contrarian narratives, and particularly this group of people in Israel who are employed to think the opposite of received wisdom and report directly to the Prime Minister. Yes, indeed. They, and this was after the Israel was almost, almost caught by a complete surprise in 1973 when attacked by Egypt and Syria. And at the very last minute, uh, news of the impending attack came from a top agent in Egypt, who in fact was Nasser's son-in-law. Extraordinary story. But the, having almost been caught out, they decided that enough was enough and that they would have this group of expert analysts whose job it was to sort of challenge prevailing orthodoxy. Um, it's quite an expensive thing to do because you're taking some of your very best people and most of the time they're challenging unnecessarily, so they become rather unpopular. We've tried that in the UK in a small way of, by having some of the analysts in the cabinet office who support the Joint Intelligence Committee uh, deliberately tasked with a devil's advocate, well, go back and really re-examine this material, you know, uh, which they didn't write, but a group of analysts coming in. And, you know, that can be quite useful. One might have wished we'd done that in 2002 in the run-up to the Iraq War it probably wouldn't have made any difference because the underlying intelligence which the, uh, was uh, flawed. But who knows, it might have done. It might have helped during lockdown. It would have given a lot of scientists who are sceptical about lockdown the chance to dissent and to be taken seriously. Well, in a sense, that already existed because the... Uh, I don't. I don't detect those groupthink inside the sage and its various um, subgroups. <laughs> there probably was some rather, rather vicious and uh, 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 pointed arguments about it. But that that would deal with the science. So you, you know, I think we can trust the scientists. I certainly do. The the ones that are on these committees who are not in the pay of government. I mean. I trust them to argue from rationally. Where you get the difficulties is when people then grab a slogan, the the COVID deniers um, or lockdown deniers, um, and without really having the soundly based explanations sort of push that. Uh, That, I think, That's just another aspect of what I complain about in the book. Are people getting more credulous? I don't have the evidence to come to that conclusion. Um, Anecdotally, I certainly come across cases where I am really 
very surprised that people believe what and say they believe what they appear to believe. I think some of the anti-vaxxer uh, material is so bonkers that you wonder how could anybody actually come to believe that. But then we've probably always had uh, a few rather obsessive people. There's a chapter in my book on obsessionals. Um, and it can affect, you know, an intel perfectly intelligent people who just become obsessed about one thing. Uh, and uh, they're quite difficult to shift from their beliefs. You seem to suggest that in all our schools there ought to be a programme to strengthen the roots of liberal democracy. How would it work? Well, uh, take my book, turn it into a suitable form for a younger audience, uh, and off you go. But it is about uh, two things. One is about how to stay safe online. Not only safe from pedophiles, uh, but safe from really bad, dangerous ideas. Uh, and by teaching people how to analyze the material that's uh, coming in. That seems to me uh, rather, rather important. And it's about to understand how social media actually works. But who determines what's a dangerous idea? Well, in the end, it's a societal uh, decision. We, we are a democracy. These things do get debated in Parliament. At the moment, we've got some very dangerous anti-vax propaganda out there. There are websites which are dedicated to trying to show that the vaccines that are being developed are dangerous. Now, there is not a shred of scientific evidence in favour of that proposition, and there's a great deal of scientific evidence in favour of the contrary. In other words, that these, the tests that have been done have been done rigorously and evaluated rigorously, yet these sites are there. Now, it's a public health problem if too many people access those sites and begin to believe that, because the whole point of vaccination is to build up resistance in the population so that our lockdowns and uh, mask wearings and all the rest of it become a thing of the past. So that's a dangerous uh, uh, idea, an example. But by teaching critical thinking directly, you can relate it to the world that the upcoming generation are going to inhabit, which is one in which they've never known anything but social media. They haven't known an era before social media and the internet. You say that all material on the internet ought to carry the name and address of its originator. They'd just make it up, wouldn't they? Yes, but if they... Uh, certainly the, you, you can try and get round that. Uh, but then you, in a sense, when you found it, you got them. Uh, one of the problems that the United States ran into with the 2016 US presidential election was material being fed in from the Russian intelligence services uh, purporting to come from uh, US citizens. That uh, uh, is clearly, in fact, in US terms, that's unlawful. Um, now, if you've, you, once you've pinned them to down uh, to the lie, 
you can then expose them and if necessary, try and sanction them. So I think there is something to be said for uh, that principle that if you're putting um, political material out, you should say who funded it, uh, or at least give uh, your the identity of the organization, the front organization, if you like, that's funding it. What do you think we ought to do with Edward Snowden? If he were one of ours, for example, what do you think should happen to him? I think it's probably too late, as it were, to do, in inverted commas, anything with him. Um, he's in Moscow. Uh, he's made himself a new life. I can't help feeling that if he got into the hands of reputable journalists and at the very beginning, and he'd uh, agreed to be flanked by the editor of The Guardian and the editor of the New York Times or the Washington Post, and they'd appeared in public in front of the cameras, in front of the Senate Oversight Committee, and to tell them, I don't think the administration has told you the full story. Here, is half, here are half a dozen documents that demonstrate that they, in that case, the warrantless intercept program uh, was going on and the committee probably was not fully informed about it. There would have been a political storm. Uh, the administration would have been obliged to do what the Obama administration actually did, which is rein in the program, uh, the issue new directions. Uh, Snowden would have been a hero. Instead, he fills you know, his uh, USB sticks with all the material he can get his hands on, including top secret material from GCHQ, and flees the country, uh, including material on, for example, intelligence to support uh, current military operations. And some of the media outlets then publish that kind of material, which is deeply, deeply damaging. So he over he overreacted. Um, he didn't follow the kind of UN, United Nations guidance for whistleblowers. It was right, though, wasn't it, that the public learned about the extent of surveillance? Up to a point, yes, I agree with that. And uh, we've now got a new law, the 2016 Investigatory Powers Act in the United Kingdom, that puts it all under the rule of law, regulates it, adds judges who have to countersign warrants and all of that. My, my point would be why on earth didn't they organize, the authorities organize all that before the leaks? So the leaks would not have been necessary. Was there anyone telling them to? I suspect so, but it was probably never the right moment for a minister to put their head above the, above the parapet on such. But the irony is, of course, the net result of the Snowden uh, material being publicised is that there's more of that kind of intelligence gathering going on than there was before, because every, almost every country on the planet, whilst complaining about the United States uh, surveillance, turned to their intelligence officers and said, well, why can't we have some of that? And, you know, little industry has grown up. Uh, making the equipment to allow some of this to take place. Sir David, thank you very much. Lovely to talk to you. There you are, Sir David Ermond, a quiet type. Next week, we've got the host of the Talking Politics podcast, David Runciman, who's going to talk to me about politics, of course, specifically 
the future of democracy, if there is one. Please join me for that. And in the meantime, do stay safe. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.